This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Kathleen Hayes is here watching those headlines cross and the market reaction, global economics and policy editor. So, KH, what you make of it? Well, I think what's so important here is uh, the Fed says uh, that it's ready to alter the size composition of balance sheet if needed. That's not new. This was part of the statement when the Fed set up its, its program to reduce the balance sheet by not reinvesting the proceeds of its quantitative easing bond purchases. What's also interesting to me, though, I'm running through the news feed to see to take a closer right. look at the monetary policy statement, right? But there's also a balance sheet statement today. Correct. I think this is new, um, and uh, I think that that's where those headlines are coming from. And I wondered how they were going to, in, the, in their four or five paragraph policy statement, fit this in. So they've added another policy statement. I think this is very significant. Here's a quote from Steve Matthews, our Fed reporter, on our Fed blog here. In light of global economic and financial developments and muted inflation pressures, the committee will be patient as it determines what future adjustments to the target range for the federal funds rate may be appropriate to support these outcomes. I love our Lukawa also saying, well, well, so much has changed in a month. Uh, It is interesting, right? The tone, it feels like, Kathleen, and what they're looking at and what they're saying, um, and and removing that reference to further gradual rate increases from that statement. And hats off to, uh, uh, if I didn't answer it, or excuse me, mention on this show, I mentioned it later on uh, US Asia TV from Stephen Stanley at um, Mm -hmm. Amherst Pierpont Securities saying he wondered if that is something they might not do, if they would remove further gradual rate hikes from the statement. And so this is definitely a, a significant thing but I don't think it's what maybe it's not really surprising right because we've heard many statements from Fed officials saying they can be patient it's been spoon fed to us since kind of I feel like the the violent market reaction right Uh, so but I I do think taking that that is interesting because I think what it really underscores is Remember, they started saying so clearly in, in November, in the minutes, uh, Rich Clarita said it here in New York, we're not on a preset course. This is not predetermined. Right. We're data dependent. We're data dependent. We're data dependent. We're going to remove forward guidance because we want, and I think they want everybody to be on the same page with them. They, I don't think they've backed away from the idea of more rate hikes this year. But it's going to depend exactly on the economy, how much market volatility, how much global right. uh, slowdown, how much trade tensions, watching the trade war continue, et cetera, how much that hurts the economy. But we got a pretty strong ADP employment report, jobs report on Friday. I don't think that means anything for anything imminent, but the Fed is still watching all of this. And stocks continuing uh, to move up here at their highest levels of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the S&P now up 1.3%, uh, give or take the Dow up 1.6%. The Dow in points uh, up almost 400 points in the NASDAQ, uh, beating both of them actually up 1.7%, you wonder. Part of that may be the driven NASDAQ by earnings. adding about 30 points since the news from the Fed. Dave, take it away in terms of the equity market reaction. Well, what it comes down to is that uh, policymakers have really kind of spelled out they're not on a preset course anymore. If you were concerned that the balance sheet uh, was going to be on autopilot, well, you can set that aside because, you know, they, they've kind of spelled it out in their statement. You don't have to guess at that anymore. And, and then beyond that, I mean, you think about all these fourth quarter earnings reports we've been getting from companies, 
A lot of them have been pointing to economic weakness around the world, especially China, so that the U.S. becomes more important, which means sort of by extension what the central bank does and how it affects the course of economic growth becomes more important. It's interesting that you say this. This is catching my attention. Fed says the economic activity rising at a solid rate, jobs strong, says spending grew strongly, investment moderated. I mean, Kathleen, this is an economy that's doing okay. And that's why I think the market, which has completely priced out rate hikes this year, again, if you really think the economy me that's weak fair enough that should you be your it's bet as an that, investor wait, wait, it's markets have priced out but fight rate hikes this year right. they're, they're basically say there's no chance i would submit to you that all depends on the economy yes. and what happens in the second half of the year maybe even in the second quarter the fed continue to watch it it's also interesting that they say in this balance sheet statement um that they intend to implement monetary policy in a regime in which an ample supply of reserves ensures control level of the, the level of the federal funds rate and that other short-term rates exercised primarily through the setting of Federal Reserve-administered rates in which active management of the supply of reserves is not required. Don't think the balance sheet is going to become a tool. They said they don't want to make it a tool. They're not going to start changing the balance sheet up and down, slowing it down, speeding it up. They can if they need to, and they're watching it. But I think it's also clear from this that the Fed funds rate is still the main tool, and they're they, – they're going to watch the economy, Carol. And I will say I'm looking at the yield curve, the 10, the 5, and the 2, and we do, certainly have seen reaction, but I feel like it's not equ- equal to what we saw in stocks. I mean, you've got the 10-year now. It went from 272 to just below that. Uh, the 2-year, let's look at the shorter end, probably more relevant, uh, right now at 255, and it was 257. So, Kathleen, slight moves here. Well, and or actually, it's interesting because, them? let's see, so the, so, so the people who purchased the short end, right? Yeah. So that's – does that – and, and and they've sold the long end because the 30-year was down about a quarter of a point. Now it's down 13, 30 seconds. Yeah. So presumably this maybe is not quite as dovish as some people have been expecting. I do want to point out some other market reaction. The dollar falling uh, pretty dramatically down 0.3%, I, I believe, if I'm reading that right. And gold up, copper up, the euro up, the Mexican peso gains, as Andy Cinco says on the Top Live blog. You get the idea. Well, and it makes sense for the dollar. If you don't anticipate that the Fed is mm-hmm. going to be raising rates at least any time soon, you're going to see some weakness in the dollar. And the emerging markets are saying, hallelujah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think a lot of people will be happy that the Fed is making so clear some things, maybe even, that, especially Jay Powell, yeah. realized we had not made clear enough. Dave Wilson, from an equity perspective, I'm curious what you want to hear from Jay Powell when he starts making some comments and taking uh, questions from reporters. Well, it becomes more sort of a, a confirmation of what's late out in the statement than anything else, that there's a consistency in how the Fed is approaching policy at this point. And, you know, you think about, like, the dollar. I mean, obviously, that's not part of their mandate. But at the same time, we've certainly seen companies bringing down their estimates for this year, in part because of strength in the dollar. So the whole idea that perhaps you you see some weakness in the currency, that becomes another plus on top of whatever may happen to U.S. economic growth, given what they're doing in terms of tweaking their approach. And so... You know, this idea seems to be coming through very clearly. I'm reading, <clears throat> continuing to read the, the blog as well. Maximum flexibility, Kathleen. I mean, it's not a shocking thing given what we've been hearing from 
Chair Powell and all of the the Fed speakers. Well, it's become I, I think it's I, I think it's quite positive. In fact, that the Fed is now putting more direct emphasis on the balance yeah. sheet because I remember when they came out with this plan, which the first year it was fairly steady, like thirty billion a month or something, and it, then it goes up really fast. And the time I thought, why do they think they need to speed it up so much? Yeah. So now I guess they're in a phase where they realize that this is an, an important part of the whole package. Um, they did and, say though that the federal funds target still their primary policy tool. Yeah. Just kind of reminding everybody, this is how we do it. Yes. So just to recap, key takeaways here from uh, from what we've seen from the Fed, the big shift being the committee adding patient, the quote, patient uh, rate outlook amid muted inflation and global developments, introducing, as we've been talking about, flexibility into balance sheet normalization, removing the statement of, quote, some further gradual increases, and the balance of risks also removed, replaced by a line about policy patience, we've uh-huh. been talking about it, amid muted inflation and global economic infinite. Could I add, what I like the, qu- the question, I would ask Jay Powell, yeah. and I expect he'll be asked in many different ways. What do you have to see to hike rates in 2019? Yeah. What's going to get you off pause? How patient can you be? It's pretty easy to see them staying on pause indefinitely if the economy is weak. But right. I wonder what their trigger point is. Also interesting, of course, that Jim Bullard, not that it makes that much difference to be a voter or not a voter, but Jim is a voter now and certainly another voice that's argued for. We don't need more rate hikes right now. And we've had certainly a fair amount of guests who say if we get U.S.-China trade deal done, uh, if we really get this shutdown thing that we're not worried about it, the government being closed again, get a lot of these big macro things done, Brexit perhaps, that you could set the stage for certainly an equity rally and a better environment certainly for companies. I just want to point out, Dave, and I know you, you always check these numbers, S&P and the Dow are both up about 14% since Christmas Eve. The Nasdaq's up about 15.5%. So we have had quite a bounce. And of course, Apple may explain that gap as much as any company, I mean, given the reaction to their latest quarterly results. And you know, the stock hit its high for the day right after the Fed statement came out, and uh, it's up more than 6% now. I just feel like everybody's been, you know, pricing in kind of a doomsday scenario, right? So when you have these companies come out and say, well, maybe it's not perfect, but we're not coming undone, we're not falling apart, uh, you know, you start to see investors come back into the market. <sighs> All right. One down. Always Ka- fun to do this. What do you, you want to ask? What would you ask, Jay? What, what's going to trigger, what's going to get what's them the back on the rate hiking path? What, what, are they, what do they need to see? That's, I think, a very important question. And Dave, how much do you worry that all this happiness could be undercut by earnings as we continue to go through the earnings season? Got Facebook and Microsoft today. Well, we do, but so far it's been, you know, investors rather forgiving when it comes to the numbers. I mean, let's not forget Apple with its first drop in revenue in a holiday quarter since 2001. They get all that bad news out, though, a few weeks ago. With iPhone sales down 15% from a year ago, and yet the stock's up more than 6%. It's amazing that Apple, you know, put all that bad news out, then came out and and basically said, but everything else is doing okay. And the market's like, cool, okay, great. (laughs) You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Breaking it down for us, of course. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News. She will be on Daybreak Asia tonight talking about all of this that's coming your way at 6 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio and TV. And Dave Wilson's going to be back a little bit later on, our stocks editor at Bloomberg News, both of them in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Well, come on and let me know.
Should I stay or should I go? Okay. So what you the Fed <laughs> what the Fed decided to do is kind of keep rates uh, where they were, but that was widely expected. Uh, some of the key headlines, Jason's been breaking them down, saying it's prepared to adjust the balance sheet normalizations, holding rates steady, pledged patient stance on future moves, and removes that reference to further gradual rate increases. And as Kathleen Hayes pointed out, we got kind of two statements, one on Fed policy and one also on the balance sheet. So let's get into it. Josh Wright is back with us in the house, chief economist at iSIMS in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So take it away. What what jumps out at you? Uh, this was a lot of uh, cheap goods that the Fed was able to um, give to the market, give the market what they wanted, but without having to kind spend a lot. Kind of a late holiday it. present, huh? Uh, yeah, they said, "Look, we're we, we're going to change. The, we're, we will be willing to change. We're not on a preset course." They said this before, but they haven't said it before in the statement. So it's these subtle moves of just you know umping the uh, upping the amplification. So what does it mean as somebody who watches the Fed versus the Fed saying it in you know speeches saying you know we're going to be be patient, blah blah blah, versus putting something in the statement? Does well, it mean it's it's amped up? It takes a more serious tone. In this statement, this is a higher frequency statement. Everyone is behind it because they've all voted on it, all the policymakers. So that's really important. Before, it was just in this document that everyone's forgotten about from 2017, the revisions from, I mean, historical documents. But to put it up to date, that's the game of inches that the Fed has to play with the markets. And I think what's going on here is this listening between the Fed and the markets. It's learning not only for Fed Powell, I mean, Fed Chair Powell in his seat as the leader, but it's also... The, the Fed has said all along, they expect to learn in the process of balance sheet normalization. This is the learning taking place. Well, and to some extent, I really like what you're saying there, because to some extent, this is a market that's still learning to sort of decipher Powell, right? I mean, yeah. and mm-hmm. that was an uncomfortable moment in the relationship back in December where where the market said, did you mean this? He said, well, no, that's not really what I meant. And then he had to really walk that back. It's not Absolutely. you, it's me. It's yeah. you, it's me. <laughs> it was one of those. I just need you to communicate yeah, a little yeah. bit better. Just talk to me. And I think that it's... um. It's even more complicated than that, in fact, because it's not just one market. When yeah, you look at the stock yeah. market versus the bond Great market point. and all the credit markets, totally different. You were talking about this a little bit earlier in the prior segment yeah. about how the stock market is responding really strongly, not yes. so much the bond market. Because the bond market is pretty clued into the Fed. The stock market doesn't pay attention to all the finer niceties. They've got other things going on. Which is why we always remind everybody, check out what the bond market's doing, correct? That's right. In terms, Okay, so no surprise, does this mean to you that essentially the Fed is on hold until, I don't know, the middle of the year we got to kind of see where things go march is certainly off the table and anything up until then um june is a possibility you know because things change you know the, the we've seen what a reverse we've seen in the stock market that could play out um in the second quarter and we could see that maybe the probabilities will rise in june that's pretty unlikely it's definitely a second half kind of story are you okay though with the fed taking into account the financial markets because we keep saying that's not a way to set policy Right, this isn't part of the Fed's mandate, and I understand they take a lot of things into account. They discuss a lot of things, but is it right for them to have said, "Wow, that market, you know, hit was pretty dramatic"? Considering we've had such a bounce back since they kind of talked it back. Well, like it or not, the financial markets are the way the Fed transmits its policy out into the world, and also I think here we should remember historical precedent. This is looking increasingly like early 2016. Early 2016. Early 2016, when ah. the Fed was planning to hike a lot in, um, throughout that year. And then there was a, there's a whole tantrum from the market, <laughs> concerns about what was going on in China. The Fed backed way off. We're seeing something very similar right now. All right. Well, Ira Jersey just uh, joined us here in our Bloomberg Director Burgers, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a a bu- it's a busy day, Fed it's Day. day. <laughs> Fed days are big days like here our prom at here at Bloomberg a little bit. <laughs> we get excited. Every month we have a prom. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Corsage included. Uh, Ira, of course, is Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, so, Ira, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, so, you know, the, the Fed kind of 
I think, overwhelmed. You know, they didn't want to under-deliver at this particular meeting. So, you know, clearly um, some of the changes to the statement, I think, were even more dramatic than a lot of people thought. And on the other side, and some people may have missed this, but there was a separate press release that the Fed put out noting the balance sheet, that they were ready to adjust the balance sheet. Um, It wasn't in the regular statement. They had the opportunity to, quite frankly. They could have put three or four words in there. Just tuck it right in there, there, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kathleen Hayes talked about that. She thought this was very significant, that you got a separate press release about policy, monetary policy, and then about the balance sheet. Well, and I think that shows you what the Fed thinks about the balance sheet, because the Fed's not buying in the open market, and they're letting... Uh, the balance sheet run off more passively, that they view that as something that they want to continue to do. So by putting that in the statement and letting it run off in the future, they might have to have pulled that back and out of the statement. They don't want to have to do that. So that's why they do it in a separate, uh, this separate release. Um, You know, I think one of the other things is no one really knows what the size of the balance sheet should be. The Fed doesn't know. We don't know. The market doesn't know. And I think the balance sheet's been blamed for more market volatility than probably deserves. Well, what was it before the financial crisis and we started doing all this quantitative easing? Well, so the balance... Is that a fair comparison or...? Not really, because there were a lot of things that were different. I mean, you can argue, and if we want to get super wonky and in the weeds here, the way that I view the balance sheet expansion was prior to the crisis, we had a lot of AAA cash-like assets. So we had short-term debt that was floating rate, that was seen as super safe, that was money-like assets. We destroyed almost $4 trillion of those assets with the blow-up of the mortgage market and stuff. All the Fed did was replace that. Okay. Right? So all the Fed did was say, okay, there was $4 trillion of money that left We'll buy a whole bunch of assets and create money, and now we've created $3 trillion of assets, and it seems to have worked, more or less. But you could argue, and I have argued, that prior to the crisis, maybe the Fed's balance sheet was too small. Maybe it wasn't big enough. And that's one of the reasons why we had a lot of excess mm. lending and borrowing and people who needed all Because there was so much these... money out there, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't enough cash in the, in the traditional sense that right. the Federal Reserve printed money. It was that... The what we call in in the business we call it inside money. So money created in the economy was massive and maybe too big. And ultimately, when that contracted, the Fed had to do something about it. Yeah, I think what Ira is getting at here is that there's learning not only between how the the chair and the committee communicates with the stock market and got kind of big headline grabbing uh, financial markets, but also what's going on in the technicalities and the plumbing of the money markets. And the communications we've heard in the last year or two from the Fed is we see this uh, progression, this increasing confidence that they really know how to use this new tool set that they've developed. And actually, they like it. They don't want to go back to the old normal. The new normal turns out to be really sticky. And so far, they've gotten kind of a free pass. They don't need to determine what the end of the balance sheet is, what the end state of the balance sheet will look like. And the last couple of months, the market said, you know, we may be a, a far way off, but we are forward-looking markets. And we need to know sooner. I do feel like since the financial crisis, whether we're rethinking that obviously what was there was not good, right, in terms of the amount of either liquidity within the system or that there weren't enough controls. I mean, obviously, there's been regulatory oversight and so on and so forth, but that that isn't our benchmark that we should check, that hopefully we're in a better state in terms of our financial system, you know, from all levels, whether it's from the Fed, whether it's from banks, and what have you. I I think that that that's right from the financial stability standpoint, and I think one one of the things that the Fed's trying to avoid is by having such a large balance sheet that they really don't know what 
what the long-term effects of that are. So they'd rather get back to some semblance of normal. Now, I've, I've suggested that we have about another $600 billion of runoff that could happen before we start to get into that financial stability problem. It's about and 12 months because they said they're rolling off about $50 billion a month, right? Uh, well, <laughs> the $50 billion is the cap. Okay. Um, we have to uh, keep that in mind. Okay. They have never reached the cap. Oh, okay. Ever. And the reason for that is that mortgages that they own tend to be very low coupon, low interest rates. Like if you have a 3% mortgage, you're not refinancing that, right? right. Why would you when right. interest rates That's are right. at 45 or 5%? Um, so so the, the runoff of the Fed's mortgage portfolio has been very slow. That's one. And two, of the $30 billion cap of treasuries, they only hit that once a quarter because they, they only own – you know, like like one month, they only owned eight billion dollars that matured, so they didn't even come close okay. to the, the thirty. So, so it's actually this year um, they're going to run off about four hundred billion dollars. Next year, it'll be about three hundred twenty-five billion dollars, more or less round numbers. And um, but nonetheless, it's going to get down to that six hundred billion dollars sometime in the next year, year and a half. That's when I think that banks are going to say, "Hey, we need these reserves. We use these reserves for some of these regulatory things. So mm -hmm. things like the liquidity coverage ratio. We need these high quality liquid assets, reserves of which are the the easiest and best to own because you know no one can default on a reserve because the Fed." It's money that the Fed gives you. So the Fed's not going to default to you on that. Reason. So let's look forward a little bit. We've got a big jobs report yeah. coming our way on Friday, right? You know, the good news. <laughs> let's see whether it continues. What are you expecting, Josh? I'm expecting a pretty strong jobs report. We saw a pretty strong uh, ADP report this morning. Yeah. Our own data at ISIMS uh, showed job openings haven't slackened at all. And those usually um, show job growth out the next couple of months. So I think it's going to be, you know, still happy times in the labor market. And how we balance that relative to soft inflation and global headwinds, that's the question. Yeah. That's something that I think the Fed really is, is concerned about, right? So the Fed's like, okay, look, we have a dual mandate, and we think that with employment being as good as you've just described, and, and it doesn't seem to be slacking any, you know, at some point, they think that we are going to get a wage push and we're going to get higher inflation We've because of it. We've been talking about that forever, though. Why are we not? The lack of wage growth. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think there's a lot of pieces to it. I think it's that people aren't demanding higher wages. People think maybe they can't. There's still a holdover from last time. Mm -hmm. There is a technological element of it as well. Um, you look at the jobs that are being created and, and where, where they are, there is a demographic issue because some of the jobs that are higher paying can't be filled with people who are 65 years old and don't have a college degree, right? So there's, you know, there's a, there's, I think there's a whole mosaic of factors that matter as opposed to just any one thing that you can point to that's saying that's the problem. Because if it was that easy, we could fix it. Go ahead. Our guys on our blog, growth is described as solid, very much as expected, and the job market is continuing to strengthen, so the overall read of the economic data is not that different from December. Uh, you agree, Josh? And I am curious, especially since we're in the corporate profit environment right now and we're getting all these earnings, which aren't as good as they were a year ago. Mind you, a year ago, uh, the comparisons are tough because of tax benefits and so on and so forth. But, you know, when you see what we're getting from the profit picture and so on and what you're hearing, I mean, what kind of economy, what kind of economic environment are we in? And is there enough momentum to keep it going for a while? It's definitely one that's slowing, but it still seems to have enough momentum to, to keep going, as, you, as you're asking about. Um, we've got wages are picking up, but on the other hand, you know, consumer goods and other kinds of goods prices, they're not accelerating. They're, they're just you know, slackening off. Right. So that's a good thing for corporate margins and therefore corporate profits. And that's an important element to keep the job engine uh, going. And really, the, the job engine, that's what's driving the entire uh, U.S. economy because consumer spending is still two-thirds of the economy, and that all depends on income growth. And 
And the Fed did note that consumers are out there spending. I think they talked about, let's see, we heard the spending grew strongly, investment moderating. And that's something we've heard, I'm assuming, when they're talking about investment companies, right, in terms of their investments. That's right. That's uh, business fixed investment. What are you guys looking at over there? We're looking at the blog and they're you like know, huddled all the different around. contributors. I'm trying to find my blog post. Oh, I saw it. I actually ago. saw it. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a so, minute. And what I, one of the what things that I talked about in the blog post was with the Federal Reserve being on hold and the um, – that the market implication of that is we should see a steeper yield curve. So uh, one of the reasons is it's twofold. One is that two-year yields are probably going to remain close to where they are. Maybe they rally a little bit, which they did at the knee jerk on, on it. But importantly, it means that may, the market might start to think that the Fed's not going to be making the same policy mistake that they've been making basically for the last 40 years. They'll stop hiking now and, you know, and, and basically let the economy grow, let inflation pick up. All of those things mean the 10-year yield should rise right. a little bit. So and one, th- one thing I ahead. just want to point out, because uh, this is a funny thing that just uh, – funny from a Fed perspective uh, <laughs> that just came across. Oh, Jason, uh, you're is, so funny when you do Fed humor. Luke Kawa calling Jay Powell breaking his own curse and saying that the S&P index oh. will right. close positive – for the first time during his tenure, he is clearly jinxing it because we're about <laughs> two minutes away from Jay Powell taking the podium. Well, along those lines, Neil Dutta of Renaissance Macro is saying, when you see the markets respond this way, and believe me, I like this, you don't want to get carried away. Loose monetary policy cannot permanently increase the level of asset prices. At some point, we will want to see equity markets rise alongside the increase in two-year yields. Agree? Well, yeah, at some point you need you need that. But I think the first order effect right now is, look, we, we have they have raised interest rates. I mean, real yields, real Fed funds rate right now is a positive for the first time since the crisis. That matters. What do you want to hear, Josh, from Jay Powell? What would you ask him right now? I want to know what he thinks about the international outlook. Um, yeah. He's, he's going to punt, I think, to a significant extent. But, you know, if you're in the, the driver's seat at the Fed, you're thinking about global liquidity conditions. You're thinking about what other central banks are doing, how that's affecting the market and how that's affecting growth and how those headwinds are going to affect. You've got to be thinking that. if you're sitting in the Fed, you've got to be thinking about the Chinese consumer. You've got to yeah. be thinking about a lot of Germany, going, right? Yeah. The Euro region. It's about oh, Europe and China right yeah. now. Yeah. Ira, what do you want to hear? So I want to know what would make them actually stop the runoff. So specifically, what indicators would you look at in order to keep the balance sheet stable balance from here on? Jersey, Josh Wright, thank you so much. (laughs) Well, the equity market and equity investors are certain feeling that way. We did see stocks rally following the latest uh, Fed decision. Let's get a little bit more into it because we did hear from Fed Chair Jay Powell live from the Federal Reserve in Washington. Took a lot of questions. Let's get some analysis. Brian Japata is debt markets columnist at Bloomberg Opinion. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio right here in New York. Also joining us from our Bloomberg 991 studio in the nation's capital, Matt Bosler, Federal Reserve Porter, reporter at Bloomberg News. Hey, Matt, I want to kick it off with you. Uh, what did you see as kind of the, the most important takeaways from what we got from the Fed today and from the Fed chairman specifically? So I think the most interesting thing to me was that we didn't get a new dot plot with new interest rate projections today. So this was the first press conference that Jay Powell or any other Fed chair has done that didn't coincide with the the release of new forecasts, right? So in December, uh, when they last updated their projections, they showed that the median Fed official on the FOMC expected that it would be appropriate to raise interest rates twice in 2019. 
And that just didn't really come up today at all, in part because there were no new projections, uh, but also because there's been so much focus on the Fed's balance sheet all of a sudden over the last month or two that Jay Powell basically got a pass on talking very much about the very near-term path for rate hikes over the next year or so. Um, He was able to sort of reiterate what was said in the statement about the Fed uh, taking a patient approach. Everybody kind of thinks March is off the table for a rate hike uh, now anyway, even before uh, today's decision and press conference. And so there had been a lot of talk about, um, you know, pushing those rate hikes back further into the back half of the year. Um, And that's just not something that we really got much new information on today at all. Um, And so it was kind of a nice opportunity for Jay Powell, who um, in his last four press conferences uh, has kind of struggled and has sent the stock market lower on all four occasions. Uh, this time, uh, he was able to kind of sidestep that whole issue. He's right. learning, right? He's right. learning. This well, is kind of a new world. And there is some real clarity, it, it, it feels like. I want to read a tweet from uh, Steve Matthews, one of our top uh, eco reporters, a, a colleague of Matt's, uh, although Steve is down in Atlanta. Sometimes you read an FOMC statement and listen to the press conference and wonder what the message is and get lost in the details. This was not one of those days. Brian Chapata, uh, come on in because... Yeah, it was hard to be more dovish. Right. I mean, uh, you know, traders were messaging saying that this is you know one of the starkest turnarounds that I've seen in in thirty years. Uh, U-tur- Remarkably, U turn. You know, yeah. like we're using phrases like that, and we sort of saw this coming. It was a gradual U turn basically since the start of the year. Uh, I remember his uh, his talk with Ben Bernanke and and Janet Yellen. Um, but you look and you know pretty much everything across the board is fairly dovish. And I thought one of our colleagues, uh, Rich Miller, actually asked a really good question. Uh, during uh, the press conference was saying, when you say future adjustments, does that mean cut or hike? You know, not necessarily future rate increases because they took out that language. So that was an interesting thing. Powell, of course, sidestepped it largely, but he was saying, well, we have to see how the data comes in and didn't rule out the fact that there could be the next move could be a cut. So people were trying to cement how long does it, what is a pause? How long is a pause? Didn't want to get boxed in, but overwhelmingly, I think, um, dovish reaction, especially from the market standpoint. Let's talk about the market reaction because we did see it kind of swift and pretty quickly uh, we saw stocks rally. In terms of the the bond market, we certainly saw some movement, but not on the same level and not on the same scale. So what does that tell you? Yeah, I think there's uh, a feeling uh, immediately after the you know, swift reaction, there were people coming out and saying, remember, don't get carried away. You can easily get you know caught on the wrong side after one move. Accommodated policy, you have to sort of see assets move in tandem. And to your point, we didn't really, you know, see that tremendously in in uh, in Treasuries. Although now, I guess the two-year Treasury yield is down six basis points, so it's pretty close to the upper end of the Fed funds range, which sort of signals that over the next couple of years, um, bond traders sort of see, uh, you know, potentially the Fed is, is on hold. Right. The two-year was about two fifty-seven heading into the Fed decision. Right now, it's at ten, uh, just under two fifty-one, two fifty, two. You know, so almost there. So, Matt, as much as we are making of the market reaction, Chair Powell did make a point to say. They don't look at the markets. They look at the data. Uh, What, in your estimation, is the data that's front and center for the Fed right now, especially keeping in mind we're three days out, two days out uh, from another jobs day? 
Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting question. So first and foremost, there's the stock market and financial conditions. I think it's pretty fair to say that over the last several years, we've had this pretty steady upward trend in the stock market uh, without much of a pullback. And that always meant higher interest rates. The Fed was steadily raising rates all along. And then now we've had you know the first real material pullback in the stock market over the past few months that we had in the past several years. And all of a sudden, the Fed is not raising rates. So that's the first thing I would point to is if we get another, you know, big upward surge in the stock market, then the conversation is going to change very quickly. But in terms of the economic data, that's also really interesting because Jay Powell was really putting a lot of emphasis on inflation in this press conference. Um, And the Fed has been calling out quote-unquote, recent muted inflation trends. Uh, That's more something that they've been saying um, as a reason why they don't necessarily have to rush to keep raising rates because inflation's not getting out of control. Um, It's not necessarily that they're worried about inflation uh, being too low at this point. Um, But there are a couple different ways that this could play out going forward. Um, The inflation data... Uh, have been a little weak. And part of that is because uh, rental inflation has really been moderating. We've had um, a lot of uh, new supply of apartments come online in a lot of big cities like New York and San Francisco over the last year or two. And that's really been keeping a lid on inflation. That's the biggest component of overall inflation. So if that continues to trend lower, then maybe we really do see the Fed starting to worry about inflation. And that would definitely be an impediment to rate hikes. But if that doesn't happen, and if inflation manages to stay around 2%, then I think the conversation is gradually going to move back toward the low unemployment rate, which was which has really over the last few years been another big factor in justifying rate hikes because the Fed fundamentally believes that the unemployment rate is right. lower than the, the lowest sustainable level uh, that will cause inflation. And so right. um, if, if, the, if everything kind of you know, works out according to plan, the unemployment rate stays low, then you know, we might be talking about more rate hikes again. Matt Bosler, Federal Reserve reporter at Bloomberg News from our 991 studio in Washington, D.C. Brian Chapata, our thanks to you as well. Debt Markets columnist at Bloomberg Opinion in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio right here in New York City. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. I'm driving in my car I'll turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. And it is time for the drive to the close. Kim Forrest, Senior Portfolio Manager at Fort Pitt Capital Group, overseeing about $2 billion in assets, on the phone joining us from Pittsburgh. Kim, how are you? Uh, good, but very, very cold. Yeah. Uh, it's even colder where you are than we're we're looking out at snow here in New York City. Uh, hope you are uh, staying warm there. That is crazy. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. A lot of heat in the markets, though. Got to tell you, I mean, a, a really strong reaction to uh, Chair Powell and the Fed. What what do you make of all that? Well, I think uh, you're right. The the where America is hot is in the markets today, and it's because um, somewhat of good earnings, um, especially from Boeing this morning, as well as Chairman Powell's kind of, uh, I guess, uh, admission that uh, maybe we're we're done raising for a while. 
Yeah, it's kind of wild, right? Like, whoa, what a different kind of uh, Fed chairman, right, from go back how many months? Um, Is he right, though? Do you, based on what you're seeing in terms of corporate profits and the macroeconomic environment, the market environment, uh, does it make sense? Because he kind of said the economy's doing all right. Well, I think he said the economy's doing all right, but it's not great. It's not strong. It's not any of those, like, I guess I'll say it hotter words. Um, You know, it's a kind of tepid sort of the economy's all right. And I think what we've all learned is perhaps the, um, the pace at which they were raising rates in the last year may have actually caused some um, interest rate sensitive business to dry up. I mean, yeah. we've certainly seen that in housing stocks and housing. So that could be one area that he's looking at saying things are all right. And, and the housing would be, you know, a not so all right area. Hey, can we go right to, um, you've got a bunch of picks that you're going to share with us, and Microsoft is one of them. We're going to get their results after the closing bell today, so we're keen to see what we get from Microsoft. Um, You like this name. I'm curious how long you've owned it, if you've been adding to the position. Uh, Fill us in. Sure. So we've owned it for a very, very long time. I've, uh, I think uh, we got in when it was 23 bucks, and we've been buying it all the way up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and here's why. Um, we are not necessarily a contrarian company, but I was a software engineer, and I know Microsoft. I was also on the sell side where I covered Microsoft. So I have a long, long history with Microsoft. But it was misunderstood. People thought it was a PC company, and we thought it was an enterprise software company. And with the right leadership, that is what investors have realized it is well it they've also shifted a business company well yeah mm-hmm. that's so it hasn't been a shift although i feel like there's more emphasis on the business side of the uh, right. of the company right and right so, but go ahead. back in the early 2000s pcs mm-hmm. you know were just dumping money the sales of pcs whether to business or to um for personal use we're just dumping money into the company and people forgot about what its roots were and what it really does well, and speaking of PCs, and I'm guessing you have a, a, a hot take on this as well, Intel is another name uh, that was long associated with PC demand. Ultimately, that story obviously has uh, shifted uh, pretty dramatically. Intel has had some internal drama, to say yep. the least, over the last year or so. Uh, what do you expect to see from them going forward? Well, uh, you know, a new president or a new CEO would be great. That would be, like, step number one. But, again, I don't necessarily think that this company is PC only. Um, Their data center growth has been phenomenal. And I think that they really have the um, engineering chops to be able to move into the areas like autonomous driving. Now, I'm somebody Mm. that doesn't believe in fully autonomous driving, but we will have systems that help us do better driving. We already and do, right? And it works really well. And if you just amp that up, right? A lot of really, a lot of the cars already are doing that, making us safer drivers. Exactly. And it's going to take more chips. The more we ask our cars to do, the smarter we need them to be. And the more processing power is going to be in them. And that's why we like Intel. Well, it sounds like that might also play a little bit into your play on or thinking about Western Digital. That stock's up 18% this year. Walk us through that and pretty decent dividend too. Sure. And that's all of these companies. It's crazy. Like yeah. that company's never paid a dividend. And now you go, hey, not bad. I'll get paid 3% for, you know, holding this stock. So um, Western Digital we like because of their NAND manufacturing. And what that is, is that's the old SanDisk part of this company. Um, 
but we believe that um, NAND is getting cheaper. Um, it currently has a supply imbalance. There's too many man or too much NAND being made right now, but it's not because of lack of supply. It's additional um, manufacturing pr- uh, capabilities have been brought online. Anyhow, these. Uh, uh, cycles come and go, and we are sure that, especially with businesses using more um, solid-state drives as opposed to spinning disk drives, that this will uh, turn around shortly. And in its latest um, uh, earnings announcement, which was a couple weeks ago, the, the company did say that you know they, they're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel with NAND pricing. All right, Kim. So you mentioned your background, which is fascinating. We love talking to people who have actually sort of had their hands, especially investors have had their uh, hands on the business. Another thing we learned about you in doing our, our research is you're a big dog person. So oh, God, yes. What's the next big dog <laughs> crazy show? crazy dog lady. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I have um, two dogs, two uh, wire hair pointing Griffon dogs that I actually show. Wow. So, so where's the next big show? Me. Um, probably in the spring. It's just too cold to bundle everybody out and right. get them, you know, on the road. <laughs> right. Well, that must be uh, that must be a lot of fun. We really appreciate uh, you joining us. Some great picks and very timely, especially given Carol, uh, as we are awaiting results from Microsoft. And I feel like Microsoft has been one of the most fascinating stories uh, over the last year. I'm looking at pictures of pointing grif- griffins, griffins, griffons, griffons. Forgive yeah. me. They are beautiful. Yeah. Kim Forrest knows what she's talking about. I know it's Fed Day and the market's closing, but I'm looking at pictures of doggies. Well, there you go. Kim Forrest is Senior Portfolio Manager at Fort Pitt Capital Group. Uh, Joining us from Pittsburgh, overseeing about $2 billion, including shares bought of Microsoft at $23. I love that story. That's I was looking, it's like going back to 2009, 2010, like you do. It's, it, the way you look at that company, though, has definitely changed because of the management changes. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.